This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actual ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the modern family office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. Following his conversation with Neil Kruzberger, Neil is a experienced search professional in the family office space, uh, 20 years of search experience and over 30 years of professional experience working in public accounting uh, and in industry uh, in the tech sector before uh, he ended up running a very successful and an interesting practice uh, working with single family offices uh, from that front. So very excited to, to be talking with you today, Neil. I think our, I think our conversation is really going to cover the family office human capital landscape. We'll be talking about somebody with Neil who's in this space every day, talking about the challenges that family offices face on a human capital perspective, whether it's COVID, after COVID, and uh, compensation and other challenges that they're going from. So Mm -hmm. thanks again, Neil. So Neil, talk to us about how you got your start in the family office space. Thanks, Eddie. Uh, just welcome to join you today and your guests. Um, so I had been, I started my career in public accounting and then private industry. Um, and I, I got into search, uh, doing mostly accounting and finance roles, uh, pretty much Bay Area centric. That's where uh, I had grown up. Um, and I did a lot of work with the Schwab organization in the 90s. Uh, and when one of their uh, senior leaders uh, retired early due to medical reasons. He asked me to help set up his family office in his private family foundation. Uh, and I just love the space. I love the high touch customized service delivery model. Uh, obviously having grown up in Silicon Valley, I'd done a lot of work with early stage owner operated companies. So the landscape was very familiar to me, but I had never seen it through a family office lens. And that was about 20 years ago. Uh, I've been in search over 30 years and I just, uh, really, uh, it was kind of an epiphany moment for me. I just said, this is where I want to want to focus my search practice. So, Neil, there's certainly been a lot of change uh, over the last 20 years uh, of the human capital and hiring perspectives and, and how people look at the family office industry. What's what are some of the things that are the most different if you had to look back uh, to today or look back to then and compare today in terms of where we are uh, when it comes to hiring and, and retaining employees in the family office space? Yeah, boy, great, great question. There's certainly been a lot of um, kind of development, evolution and, and professionalization, you know, in the family office arena uh, industry, if I can use that term over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think that's been accelerated even more so in recent years. Um, family office models have continued to evolve and professionalize. Uh, that's a strong trend that I think we're going to see continue. Uh, there certainly are more and better outsourced options for wealth owners today than there have been historically. Uh, that has certainly impacted staffing models and considerations. Uh, many of the service providers have refined their deliverables to family offices, especially in the areas of technology and reporting. Um, And with just more information flow, uh, family offices are are increasingly popular areas to work or popular places to work in. They're boutique, especially for professionals. They're boutique investment company-like models. You know, they're high impact roles. It's It's a few people managing a lot of wealth, Um, very personal connections with the family, 
great employment stability. You know, they're virtually recession-proof, Eddie. They're, uh, you know, family office. You, you have a downturn. They're not gonna, they're not gonna go through layoffs like many of the commercial, like what you see in the commercial world. Uh, and they can provide excellent compensation both short-term uh, and long-term. Uh, another development that's been really impactful have been all the peer groups that have um, that have evolved and. Uh, those have been helpful just in terms of supporting management and leadership efforts for the family office professionals, more collaboration, more information flow uh, in what historically, as you know, has been a very kind of confidential and closed system relative to information sharing. Um, another another uh, human capital trend, interestingly, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a boomer age person and, and our generation was kind of, you keep your head down and, and keep working. Uh, I'm seeing more, uh, more mobility in family office uh, professionals today than I ever have. And by mobility, I mean the willingness to take a call and hear about an opportunity or consider a move. Um, Why do you think that is? I mean, it tended to be a job where they're either there short term or a long, long line. Uh, in terms of a career, is, is there anything driving that? Yeah, they, you're right. Family office arenas have tended to be very, very stable and a lot of long tenured employees. Um, I think it's been driven by some of the some of the impacts of COVID uh, and, and just perceptions and, and feelings coming out of the, you know, the tumultuous two years we've been through. Uh, I think some of the market changes in compensation um, as well as some of the changing perspectives of the next gen workforce. I think those are all kind of uh, impacting the willingness to, hey, if something isn't working right, I'm going to I'm certainly going to be open to listening to another opportunity. It's interesting. And uh, it, it, compared to 20 years ago, what do you think was other than COVID? Right. We didn't have COVID for 20 years. What were some of the things that drove uh, that that evolution? Is it uh, people just knowing what a family office is? Uh, you know, this this concept, this notion of some sort of a, prof, you know, different kinds of professionals going to the in, into the sphere. What, what do you think were some of those driving I, factors? I, I think that's it. I think that the landscape has changed. It's it's become more popular. It's become more visible. Uh, again, more information flow there. Um, it, it's just getting a lot of attention um, in, in a very positive way. Uh, and with that has uh, has come um, just a lot of interest. I get a lot of people who haven't been in family offices per se. Maybe they've been in a law firm or a public accounting firm or a wealth management firm serving high net worth arenas and or high net worth clients. And they want to want to get into a family office role. Um, you know, one of the things that the demand for talent, another another evolution, it's uh, I think this is without question probably the strongest uh, human capital period i.e you know demand for talent um, period that the that the u.s family office market has has ever seen with uh, yeah. with the u.s market uh, are you seeing any d demand for that uh, talent uh, increase um, just because of people being more aware or is it because they're thinking that they're these are alternative career paths or what what, what tends to be uh in your opinion a, a driving force for some of these this uh this movement yeah good 
good comment. There really there are a handful of things, very very specific things that are driving this demand, um, and I don't see them changing near term. Uh, one is certainly the continued wealth transfer that's going on in our country. Uh, you also have generational transfer among families. Um, as I said a little bit ago, there, there are a lot of boomer aged leaders in family office roles who are retiring out. So you have those three succession factors coupled with, you know, there have been coming out of the Great Recession and certainly with the COVID uh, downturn and, and recovery, there have been massive amounts of new wealth created uh, leading to a proliferation of family offices across the country, um, as well as all the M all the growth with MFOs, banks, and advisory firms. They're all setting up um, groups to serve the family office arena. So you have this confluence of, of factors and in, in terms of driving the need for experienced family office professionals. Um, and it... You know, it, as I said, I just I don't see uh, any of these trends changing near term, uh, at least significantly. Uh, and I think it is an important factor for family offices to be thoughtful of as they think about succession and they think about um, human capital planning in that, you know, over the next few years, because I think the demand's going to just continue to get uh, tighter and tighter or stronger and stronger. What is a uh, background of people that are looking to get into the space that are, that are becoming increasingly attractive? You know, you typically had the lawyer, the accountant, uh, maybe the banker uh, be somebody uh, as somebody that a family was interested in working with. Are, are there other backgrounds or something that's not uh, off the well-worn path uh, of people that are potentially looking at this space to, to have as a background? Um. Well, if you look at the if you look at the composition of family office leadership today, again, U.S. based, the majority of leaders uh, either come through kind of an investment CIO uh, wealth management path and have that skill set, or they're coming through an accounting tax, you know, reporting skill set, kind of controller CFO, uh, tax partner, etc. I think fundamental and, and as you look at those skill sets, those are core needs of family office models. You have info, you know, you, you have the CFO, COO skills of infrastructure, uh, reporting, uh, estate planning, trust, tax oversight, et cetera. And then you have all the investment uh, needs as well. So I think those fundamental uh, strengths are gonna are gonna continue. Uh, what's what's increasingly critical are just strong emotional awareness, emotional intelligence. Um, people who do well in this space have what we refer to as kind of the service gene. Uh, people that really enjoy serving and taking care of others. Uh, if they have that in their DNA, they do well. Uh, you also hear the term expert generalist referred to commonly. Uh, people have to enjoy uh, being able to uh, deal with a lot of different things coming at them and be able to um, speak effectively and interact effectively with all different audiences um, from, you know, whether it's a staff person dealing with something at a domestic issue at, at, at one of the properties or whether it's a boardroom presentation. Uh, there's uh, the family office leader really has to have the agility and adaptability to uh, 
to interact effectively across all uh, all audiences. There's the the generalist feature that you mentioned, but what about it's can be very challenging to tra- to move from a position where you're like a chief investment officer or you're in one industry vertical or another to working with uh, a family on a particular uh, issue and to be that all around player, the the get stuff done officer. Um, how can families find that? Is it something that's uh, that you tend to work with folks to, to try to identify people that have those characteristics, or is it just getting used to working in a family? Or how, how does that typically work around? Because it sounds like the paths haven't changed that much into getting into a family office environment, you know, strict accounting, banking, investment, and all those roles, but the needs have become more generalized and uh, integrated. How do you, you know, match those two things up? Um, you're right. I don't. I don't know that the the kind of the the paths or backgrounds have, have changed uh, all that much. But I think the um, a lot of it has been enhanced and supported by all of the service providers uh, that are uh, out there and available to uh, family office model solutions uh, today. Um, you know, you don't have uh, historically. You, you'd see a lot of leaders who were—I don't want to say experts in all areas, but they were pretty deep uh, in all areas. Take tax, for example, and um, and that just isn't as common today. Obviously, a lot of great tax people out there, but a lot of the tax leaders and family offices are um, are able to kind of manage and interact with the different. Uh, outside professionals that they're using to help, uh, you know, across a variety of tax uh, challenges or tax considerations, where uh, you know one person just cannot have it all, uh, have it all today, or have all the ability today. I think sometimes you, people get the frustration that if you come from one background, if, if you have a hammer, all you see is nails, and I think that uh, uh, I, I think it's been interesting to get your perspective on how people can be able to cross train and and uh, see a, a wider picture out of all of that. Yeah, I think uh, again, it's it's having had um, uh, it, if, if you haven't worked directly for a family office um, per se, it's having been in a service delivery model where you've been around a wealth owner or a wealthy family. Um, whether it's an investment advisor, whether it's a CFO who's worked for a couple of partners at a hedge fund, uh, and even though that person might be more business focused in terms of managing the hedge fund, he or she are, are getting a lot of insight and interaction to um, being the right hand person for the wealth owner. So there's a lot of family office like um, experience that that person can get in kind of that that hybrid model, or as we refer to it, kind of the embedded model. Um, but to come, you know, to come cold out of, out of a, especially a non-service role, a non-professional role uh, into a family office model is, uh, is, I think it's pretty challenging in today's, uh, in today's landscape, uh, just due to the, the needs and the sophistication and the the complexity. Well, let's talk about uh, some an area that I'm sure is uh, interesting to, to many folks when they're talking about working in a family office, and that's compensation. It sounds uh, based on you know our conversations and and you know the evolution of the industry that it, it's changed dramatically, and there's a lot more options that are out there, including 
you know, the ability to have long-term incentive packages and other kind of elements that fit uh, a more flexible compensation uh, framework. What, what are you seeing out there? A great, great comment and, and something you and I have discussed before. Um, just a, a couple of framing comments is that the, even though a lot of positive change has been made on the compensation and incentive front in the family office arena, it still remains as one of the most inefficient um, kind of markets um, that, that there is. Um, it's been, again, a, a historically confidential and, and uh, enclosed arena. Uh, but things that are improving the information flow and improving improving the efficiency, um, there are more and better surveys out there today. Um, there are more well-developed peer groups and associations uh, which support the information flow. Um, you still have data points that are uh, that are all over the board. I get a lot of questions from uh, family offices reaching out for benchmarking and and wanting wanting information for certain roles and what what's market and with the demand having changed and and the you know all the comp rates going up over the last several years uh, that's made it difficult um the comp fundamentally has definitely been rising both cash comp and long-term incentives Uh, trish botoff and her group have done a couple of great studies there are others out there as well Uh, they all support the the increases. There may have been a little pause in COVID, uh, but but it wasn't a you know it wasn't a big downshift. If anything, it was just a temporary hold. And now um, uh, you know prices for uh, for good people are are continuing to rise. Uh, as you mentioned, we are seeing one notable change uh, on the especially at the sea level. We're seeing more uh, long term incentive structures. Um, and they're becoming more of a got to have than a, than a, historically they've been a nice to have. Um, and LTIPs can be great uh, sources of glue. Um, they come in all different structures. Uh, you know, if it's an investment driven model, uh, you can have co-investment, you can have carry. There's a lot that can be done. Uh, again, if, if the family office structure has that uh, orientation and if they don't, uh, there are a lot of um, very simple other structures, uh, deferred comp uh, programs that can be installed. They're, they're easy to administer, not expensive. There's some great resources out there um, that can help with, with getting that set up and, and making sure they're aligned with, with the goals and, and objectives of the, uh, of the office. From a perspective of the work model, pre-COVID, and there was a lot of uh, in-office work uh, in family office, and you know, in many other industries as well. Uh, where are you seeing uh, family single-family offices on this front? Is it going to be a mix in the future? Uh, I think we've had two, two and a half, almost years to think about what what the future would look like um, as we kind of move out of the COVID world. Uh, do you think that? where family offices are going to continue to explore alternative uh, working arrangements? I, I really do. Um, and, and if I could just, uh, sorry to interrupt, if I could just go back to the comp question for a minute, one more point I wanted to make relative to going forward for sure. leadership is that uh, 
especially in this type of a model. And again, I've been in the search arena over 30 years, so I've seen a number of cycles, uh, et cetera. But it's really important for the leaders to stay plugged into uh, some of the changing comp trends and make sure that they have competitive structures. You know, if, if you look at retention, retention is, is all about interesting and meaningful work, a strong, well-defined culture, but it's also a, a competitive or above market comp structure. And, and a really good best practice is, for, is to take a look at that every year or two, just to make sure your comp is in line with market. And because there's been such a change over the last year or two, that's something that all family offices should be, should be looking at. Relative to the, to the business model, yes, I think, boy, this has been, you know, just an uh, incredibly challenging period uh, to, to manage, certainly to manage through. Um, and I think most offices that I see uh, inter interact with, uh, and even in my discussions with, with peer, peers and colleagues, uh, it's going to be some sort of a hybrid model, something with some flex um, for a dual career family, for uh, just the challenges, um, you know, no more commuting. I mean, growing up in the Bay Area with three three or four bridges to, to get across, um, you know, people are happy not to have to truck across the Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge. And, and I think we're seeing that um, nationwide. Um, it's, it's going to take some time. Obviously, the, the quick shift to a virtual world was, uh, was felt by all. Some uh, adapted to it better than others. Uh, but I think the norm going forward will be some sort of a hybrid model. Um, with um, and Now, the challenge there, I just mentioned culture, is if you are out of, um, you know, you, you are out of the office, you don't get the connect time. Uh, you, we, you know, we, we haven't lost as much productivity as we were, uh, as everyone was worried about. Uh, people are getting things done and, and, uh, which is, which is great, but, you know, human beings still need connectivity. We need touch. We need, uh, visiting time and FaceTime. Uh, and I think it's going to be, uh, it has been incumbent on, on leaders to come up with creative ways to, to help facilitate that, whether it's virtual meetings, but try to have some in office, um, you know, interaction or periodic quarterly meetings uh, where where people can interact. Well, that culture piece is uh, certainly an important one, and it's interesting to to get your thoughts on uh, how families are being able to do that when they are remote. Uh, or maybe doing these three, two hybrid sessions or two, three or whatever, whatever they're looking to do. Um, I would be curious to hear what you're hearing from um, from families from that front. Yeah, boy, culture is, you know, culture is always important, um, you know, in, in organizations. It's just it's critical in the family office arena. Uh, it's so highly personal um, and it, it really kind of depends on the. Um, on the office and where they are in their life cycle. If I can, if I can uh, kind of refer to it like that, it's, you know, for an existing office that has a well-established culture and, and multi-gen and, and they've had succession in leadership, uh, you can get quite a bit of runway, runway out of an organization that has a pretty deeply steeped culture or deeply embedded culture. And uh, not that you want to, um, you know, be, be forgetful or not that you want to ignore 
nurturing that going forward, but you can get quite a bit of runway out of that. Whereas a new model, uh, an early stage organization or a family, I've seen a lot of families with additional wealth coming in and they had a, a certain level of family office structure in place and now they want to professionalize it or add to it or bolster it. Uh, and if you're trying to affect change um, and, and drive some culture change or drive some leadership change, you know, I think it becomes harder then uh, because, uh, you know, trying to, to do that remotely. And I think some sort of a blended model where you do have some office time is, um, you know, is going to be critical. I think that feeds into what you mentioned as well is how to keep people in a pandemic, in a post-pandemic uh, situation. Uh, what, what, what are some strategies that you've seen work well on retention? Uh, other than compensation, I think that, that's certainly an area that, um, you know, is a, a quite clear in terms of that, that being a motivating factor to, to having people stay. But now that there is more movement, there's more people interested, there's more, uh, I wouldn't say spotlight, but, you know, maybe more interest in this and, and awareness of this space. How do you work with uh, families? Uh, well, the, the not families, but the, the staff that work yeah. for the family to get them to want to stay. And, and, and as you say, with the, with the shifting attitudes of the next gen, uh, and, and that's a that's a group of it's a demographic where uh, it, they want to have they want to have impact. They want to have meaningful work. And and the boomers were not uh, quite as. Uh, um, you know, quite as programmed in, in that light. Uh, but I think largely, again, and from all my work in the, in the search arena, um, the three key things uh, to get retention right are interesting and meaningful work. It's, it's certainly strong compensation uh, and it's also culture. Um, you know, relative to uh, just on the compensation for a minute, I've, I've seen a handful of I've had a handful of searches uh, where senior level people at, at the end of the day, they were thinking about making a move, but there was just too much money on the table with the long term incentive that they'd be walking away from. And the, the point is that the long the LTIP did exactly what it was designed to do, and it, it kept the person in place. Uh, the work. Uh, situation can be um, can be challenging if, if there's a, if it's an early stage family office or a family office with a lot of initiatives uh, going on um, new wealth setting things up um, that can be very exciting and and a lot, creates a lot of room for contribution um, as soon as that slows down after things get in place and it becomes more of a excuse me but a little more routinized or maintenance maintenance mode uh, or if just there is a slowdown in the activity of the family, whether it's investment activity or, or whatever, um, that can create kind of a pause in terms of what people are getting done or certainly a shift. Uh, it's interesting, Eddie, when I go to, uh, you know, at least historically, you'd go to conferences and or people would reach out to me and they'd say, I'm doing well, I'm getting paid well, you know, everything's good. But. If you hear about something interesting, you know, please keep me on your quiet radar screen. And 90% of the time, the, the answer when I say what's, what's driving that, why would you want to make a change? It is impact. It's having, having an influence. 
I don't feel like I'm making the same contribution that um, that I did a few years ago, or there's been a change in the family dynamic or the family split a little bit. It's kind of changed the role, but, uh, but I can't, uh, you know, I can't overemphasize enough just the, the importance of, uh, of impact and contribution, um, you know, and, and getting things done. Um, and then, then the culture, uh, again, is a kind of the third component. Um, and I know we've talked a little bit about that, but uh, that can be that can also be challenging in certain family office models that um, maybe it's a first gen uh, entrepreneur, uh, wealth owner uh, that, you know, has the first dollar they, they made and um, has been very successful. That can be a very and, and that can kind of have a pervading influence on the culture of the family office. Um, and especially I've, I've, I've talked to, uh, a number of family office leaders that want to put an LTIP in place and they want to put some of these, these incentive structures in place, which are, which are good practices, uh, but they just can't get the wealth owner to, to buy off on it. It's just not in their, you know, it's just not in that, their DNA or their makeup to, to have that sort of an incentivized uh, model and and that can be very frustrating for the uh, for the leader who's trying to create a structure and and create good retention models. All right, so let's zoom out a little bit from the to the family office kind of sector or industry or space and say, you know, what's missing in the family office world, uh, whether it's a service or a technology or something that's out there that you think given your experience and your conversations with families that you think uh, uh, is missing in, in the, in that, uh, in that sphere. Yeah, boy. Um, I don't know that it's, I don't know that I can point to anything that's missing per se, but uh, I think what needs to be um, can have continued focus is just education of the next gen. Um, that's getting a lot of attention, which is wonderful. Uh, but I think that's, I, I think that is really, really important. Um, you know, succession, um, planning and leadership, uh, and guidance is, is just critical. I've seen, uh, you know, so much can be, um, kind of mishandled if, if it hasn't been a thoughtful or deliberate, um, transition, uh, across generations, um, so I think those are, and, and, you know, we're seeing philanthropy and, and, and giving uh, evolve hugely. And, and that's been a great way to get the, get the next gen involved. And, um, but I, I, th I think probably one of the biggest ones is just education of the next gen and working with them and supporting them uh, through, the, through the journey. Last question for you, Neil. If you had to think of one lesson learned over your career, something that you wish you had been able to tell Neil 30 years ago that you know today, what would it be? Just that I, I think what I've learned um, in my 30 years of search is just the ability to listen. Um, as a recruiter, you spend a lot of time listening to uh, family office leaders, uh, employees talk about careers and, and it's really refined my ability to, to just talk less and listen, um, and, and really hear what's being said in front of you. 
before I try to give thoughts or guidance or assessment on uh, on what I think might be be right. But um, that, that's probably probably the important thing for me. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, all of you, for listening in today. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with Neil or have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at dentons.com. And Neil, if they want to reach out to you directly, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, just my, my email, neil at, at cruiseburger.com, uh, which you have on this. And Eddie, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you this morning. And I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. No, uh, pleasure is all mine, Neil. And uh, to all of you listening in, if you enjoyed today's uh, conversation, are so inclined, subscribe to the channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to, uh, to podcasts. And as always, sharing this episode is probably the best way that you can show your support. Uh, and to sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, check out our website. That is dentons.com forward slash family office. Well, that's it. Bye, everyone. Bye.